Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. I want to thank you, by the way, for your generosity last week. I think I shared with our Sunday evening crowd that uh, we gave $2,281 to the work of the House of Hope in Romania last week, and I just want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. What a generous gift you gave to uh, Pastor Mihai and MJ and their families as they were here and that money will all go back to helping uh, with those kids there in those orphanages in Romania so thank you for your your generosity last week I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and uh, we were there we started there a couple weeks ago and maybe you're a little unfamiliar with where the book of Habakkuk is well if you'll just go to the book of Matthew the first book in the New Testament, and just turn back to the left. You'll go through Malachi and Zechariah and Zephaniah, and you'll make your way eventually to the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters, not a very long book, but we are spending some time there over these next couple weeks as we're considering strong faith in troubled times. I think all of us would agree that we live in troubled times. We also should agree that we need to be people of strong faith in troubled times. And so Habakkuk, that, that, that is the major theme of this book, is trusting God in the midst of uncertainty. Habakkuk, the prophet, he's, he's considered by many the praying prophet, whereas most prophets in the Old Testament would proclaim a message from the Lord to the people. Habakkuk is almost doing the opposite what we have in, in this book is, is Habakkuk praying to the Lord on behalf of the people, uh, bringing their request to him. The nation is in uproar. There is sin in the land, and there is uh, the threat of a nation coming against the people of Judah, and Habakkuk is praying and pleading with the Lord that he will intervene. And we saw that verse a couple of Sundays ago in chapter 1 where Habakkuk cries out and he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? This morning I want us to consider this. Strong faith is patient faith. We hear in that question that Habakkuk asked in chapter 1, the longings of someone who not only wanted God to answer the cries of his heart, but he wanted an answer soon. How long am I going to have to wait? God for you to answer. When we left this story a couple of weeks ago, we ended in verse 1 of chapter 2, and in verse 1 of chapter 2, Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand guard, stand at my guard post and station myself on the tower, and I'm going to watch and see what he will say to me and how he will respond to my complaint. And so beginning in verse 2, where we pick up, and going really through the end of chapter 2, we have the Lord's response, his second answer to the prophet Habakkuk. And we get great insight, I think, in these verses today in what patient faith looks like in our lives. You know, patience doesn't come easy, does it? Would anybody be bold enough to confess this morning that they struggle with patience? Anybody just want to be real this morning? How many of y'all had a struggle with patience before you even got to church today? Anybody just want to be honest? Yeah. If they don't hurry up and get out the door, you know, uh, we're never going to make it to church. Or 
maybe it was at the grocery line this week or maybe it was in traffic. I have some people that, some friends of mine that live in bigger towns and I was with them two or three years ago and uh, I brought up how crazy traffic is in Demopolis at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoons and they laughed at me. And I said, you just come on to Demopolis this Friday at 3 o'clock and you try to make a left-hand turn on Highway 80 and we'll see who's laughing then. It's hard to be patient in traffic or in the line or maybe you're seeking an answer for something in your life. It may be a health issue and you're struggling with patience. Maybe a situation in a relationship in your life. There's been a struggle, maybe husband and wife or something with your children. Could be something at work. And, and we struggle with patience because we live in a world where we want everything instantly. We can go to the store and we can pick up a frozen meal and we can go home and in two minutes we have dinner. Or we can go through the drive-thru at the restaurant and we can order our hamburger and fries and we can have it in less than a minute. And we live in this culture, this fast-paced culture where everything happens quickly and so we expect that when we come to the Lord and we bear our soul to Him and we pray and seek Him that God should give us the answer right when we expect it. But God doesn't operate on our timetable. And so we have to learn how to be patient in our faith and how to trust Him in those times of waiting. So Habakkuk here in chapter 2 is waiting on the Lord's response. He's going to sit and station himself at this guard post and watch to see how God is going to respond. So verse 2, the Lord answered. I just want to, I just want to step in here and say that, that while we're talking about patience and we're talking about waiting on the Lord, let's make no mistake about it. God always answers the prayers of his children. God is faithful to do what his word tells us that he will do. And so God proves his faithfulness just in that statement in verse 2. God answered me. And he said, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. And then listen to verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end, and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Boy, there's so much we can unpack just in that verse. Notice what he says. He, he says, write it down because what, what I'm about to tell you is going to come to fruition and Habakkuk, you need to write this down because people need to know that these things are about to happen. Notice in verse 3, he said that the vision that he's about to give Habakkuk about the, the, the coming of this nation against Israel, against Judah, he said the vision is yet for the appointed time. The, the first thing I want you to understand this morning about patient faith is that those who have patient faith trust in God's timing. God says the vision will come to pass at the appointed time. God has an appointed time for everything. God has the appointed time for you just in your life when you would be born. He has an appointed time in which you will die. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a season 
to be born. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And God knows both. He knew the day you would be born. He knows the day that you will die. There's an appointed time for life and for death. There's an appointed time for all things. God's timing, God's timetable, we don't always understand it, but we know that at the appointed time, God always does what he intends to do. One of the things I have thought about in my own life and have been grateful for as a pastor now for uh, in, uh, two churches in a span of 13 years, I just, I just rejoice in that. I thank God for it. And one of the things that I rejoice in is that not one time in my, in my pastoral ministry have I had to be in a situation where I had to, you know, submit my name or submit a resume out for consideration. God's always in his time. He's always planted me where he wanted to be. I remember in 2005, I was praying and seeking the Lord, and I knew that God was leading me to pastor. I was serving in a church, wonderful church, wonderful people. Some of them we still talk to today, but I was leading the music there, and uh, it, it, was, it was good. I was getting good experience in ministry, but it just wasn't... I knew God was calling me to preach and to pastor, and I was praying and seeking the Lord about it. And I just, I just remember uh, having to learn in that process how to wait on Him. And there I was in my apartment one day, and my phone rang, and it was someone from the search committee from Pine Hill. And the next thing I know, I'm headed to Pine Hill to be the pastor. And it was all amazing how God in his timing, he worked that out. And then 2010, a um, guy by the name of Brooks Barkley, I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of him before. He said, hey, I, I want to recommend you to First Baptist Church. I thought, well, maybe he'll forget. I'm not looking to leave where I'm at. Maybe he'll forget about it. He comes up to me two or three months later, hey. You going to give me your resume or not? So when Brooks Barkley tells you to do something, especially twice, you do it. Those of us that remembered and loved Brother Brooks, so I did that, and God brought me here. And every time, God in his time has always put me in the place where he wanted me to be. And I trust that that will happen in the future when God, if God desires to put me somewhere else, when God desires to move you and put you in a new setting, maybe a new job or whatever the case may be, trusting in the Lord and knowing that his timing is always best. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? His timing is always perfect. There's an appointed time. And listen to what he says it, it testifies about the end and will not lie. His timing is truthful. It, it will not lie. The things that are about to happen, they're, they're going to happen at an appointed time, and they are assured to be true. But then he says this, though it delays, wait for it. Now that's where you and I can, can associate because we understand that God has an appointed time for everything, but then there are those times when, even though we know that, that it seems as if his timing is delayed. We've been praying and seeking God for something in our lives, and the answer has yet to come. And that's what was happening with Habakkuk. And God was reminding him, he said, you feel like I've not been working and moving and this delay that you have felt and experienced in your life may have been difficult, but wait, because he says at the end of verse 3, 
it will certainly come, and I love this, it will not be late. Now, I've had John chapter 11 on my mind a lot recently because of this. I used it in a funeral that I did. Even yesterday, I used this. And you remember the story in John chapter 11 of Jesus getting the word that Lazarus was sick. And the Bible says that he got word and Jesus stayed where he was for two days. And in those two days, Lazarus died. Several days later, Jesus makes his way to Bethany where Mary and Martha were and Lazarus had already been placed in the tomb at that point. And when he got there, Martha and Mary both came to Jesus and said this. They said, Jesus, if you had been here, if you had come my brother would not have died. To Mary and Martha, it seemed as if Jesus' timing was a little bit off because they had already heard and seen and bore witness to the fact that Jesus was a miracle worker. He had healed many people. So Jesus, why didn't you come? Because we know you can heal the sick. We've already seen you do it. Why didn't you come? But we know in that story that Jesus had a greater purpose in his coming to Bethany because Jesus, he goes to the tomb where Lazarus was. Lazarus had been dead for several days by this point. And Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, a dead man, rises from the dead. Could you imagine what must have been going through their minds when they saw Jesus do that? I mean, they'd been thinking about the fact that Jesus, the healer of the sick, had not showed up on the scene in time, and now they realize Jesus, not only can he heal the sick, but he can raise people from the dead. See, he had a greater purpose in his delay. Sometimes we, we don't realize that God's delays are some of the greatest blessings in our lives because God will allow us to experience the delay because he has something greater in store for us on the other side. Some of you have experienced that in your life. You've waited and you've waited and you felt as if God was not moving. But you look back on it and you understand that his delay was for your good. Because notice what it says. It says, uh, that delay, since it will certainly come, wait for it, it will not be late. You see, in John chapter 11, maybe you've heard it said this way many times before, God was not early. God was not late. He was right on time. And in your life and mine, when we learn to trust in His timing, we'll find that God is always, 100% of the time, always right on time. When God determines that He's going to do something, when He's going to intervene in a situation, when God's going to move in a life, God's going to do it in his time and in his way. And so patient faith says, God, I trust in your timing. But then I want us to see something else in this story, in this response from the Lord. Notice in verse 4. And he's speaking here of the, the nation, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, that are the, the nation that's going to come against the people of Judah. He speaks of them in verse 4, and he says his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. Skip down to verse 5. Wine betrays, 
An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and like death. He's never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. He's speaking of the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans, speaking of their wickedness, speaking of their inflated ego, verse 4, speaking of their lack of integrity. And we can take those statements and we certainly can think about the world that we're living in today, right? There's a lack of integrity in our nation, among our leaders, among many of our people. There, there, there's a, a culture that we're living in where people are so filled with themselves and so full of pride and their egos are inflated. We live in the midst of this even today. Verse 5, it talks about the arrogant man never being at rest, never being satisfied with what he may do or accomplish. We see this in our world today, people craving more and more and more for themselves, trying to make a name for themselves. Young people thinking that the best course of action for them to have financial security in their lives is to go viral on YouTube. Some of y'all don't even know what that means. So we're, we're just, we're amassed in a culture where everything is about us and we see evil all around us and it seems as if that's the only way to climb the ladder is to do things by the world's way but he gives us an alternative in verse 4. He says, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Now I want to make sure that, that you either highlight or underline this verse in Habakkuk chapter 2 because Habakkuk may not even realize it at the time. Certainly he probably didn't, but the Lord gives us one of the most pivotal statements in all of Scripture, maybe even in all, particularly the Old Testament, because when you get over to the book of Romans, chapter 1, Paul uses this, this statement in his argument, in his letter to the church at Rome, he uses this statement as the foundation for so much of what he talks about in terms of faith. He, he says in verse 17 of, of Romans chapter 1, in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written. And he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, the righteous will live by faith. He says that in the context of, if you remember in Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul understands that, that the gospel message is a message that we come to Jesus through the basis of our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us at the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we, we don't come to Christ through our own self righteousness or our own good deeds those things aren't the good news of the gospel the good news is Jesus has made a way for us to be right through faith in him and so this verse this one statement that sort of almost you could pass by it and miss it in Habakkuk chapter 2 this statement that the righteous live by faith so Patient faith, number one, trust in the Lord's timing, but there's a second thing about patient faith. Patient faith, trust in the Lord's ways. 
and understands that God's ways are better than the world's ways. Because you have to see the contrast here in Habakkuk 2. God is giving us a contrast between the wicked, those who are inflated in their ego, those who are arrogant and prideful and are only looking out for themselves and are never satisfied in their constant pursuit of building themselves up as opposed to those who are walking in the righteousness of God and walking in faith. Patient faith recognizes that those who walk by faith and walk in the ways of God, maybe not in the short term, but in the long term, will find greater peace and joy and happiness in their lives than those who walk in pride and arrogance and sin. Can I just remind you all of this this morning? This is, this is part of the hope of the gospel, right? That we live in a world where it's all about get it all for yourself while you can, do what you've got to do to climb the ladder. Whatever, whatever you've got to do to build yourself up, do it. And that may for a short season in our lives lead to, to joy and happiness and satisfaction, but ultimately it leaves us empty and void of peace in our lives. But if you walk by faith and you walk in the ways of God and in His righteousness, though you may forfeit some things in the short term, you gain infinitely much more in the long term. Because our inheritance as believers, those who have come through the gospel of Jesus Christ, our inheritance is not in the things of this world. Our inheritance is in heaven, things that money can't buy. We have something greater in Christ than this world has to offer us. Do we believe this today? This world is not our home. And while the evil, in this context, the Babylonians, while they're walking in self-righteousness and arrogance, he said the righteous live by faith. They, they patiently trust in the ways of God, knowing that they are much better than the ways of the world. But then there's something else that I want us to see. When you start in verse 6 and you go down through verse 20, you have what, and it may say this in your Bible in the heading, it, it gives us these, these five woe article, oracles speaking against the Babylonians. And God is so good to do this for Habakkuk and really for all of us because here's what God is doing. He's saying, Habakkuk, at the appointed time, I'm sending the Babylonians to come against the people of Judah. It's too late for Judah to turn back, at, to, to, to repent, and for me to relent at this point. I've given, it, I've given the nation plenty of opportunities to turn from their sin. This is about to happen. But he gives Habakkuk and us some hope that though he's sending them to bring judgment against the people, their time will be short. They won't be in that position of authority for long. I want to show you these five things that were true of the Babylonians that would lead the Lord to encourage Habakkuk to see that, that, that this would just be temporary. Verse 6, All of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles, and they will say, Woe to him. Here's the first one. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. 
How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. The, the people of Babylon, they, they were good at extortion. They would take things that belonged to other people and they would take them for themselves. Verse 7, your creditors will arise and those who disturb you will wake up and you will become spoiled for them since you have plundered many nations. All the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. There might be a season where the people of Babylon will plunder the nation of Judah and will extort, but there will come a time when God will send his judgment on the nation of Babylon for their extortion but he also talks about their arrogance we see in verse 9 he says woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster they say that this spoke of the Babylonians desire to build the walls around the city to a high a point so high that they would believe that they were that their city was impenetrable that no one would be able to come against them, which would lead to their arrogance. No, we're, we're untouchable. No one can destroy us. But verse 10 says, You've planned shame for your house by wiping many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. You may think in your arrogance that you're invincible. God will send judgment against the arrogant. Think about that for our nation. We, we see so much of this in, in, our, in our world that it seems as if the arrogant, those who are, who are so prideful and full of themselves, it seems as if they're prospering and that the, the righteous are suffering. But there will come a day when God will send his judgment on the arrogant and the wicked. He talks about bloodshed. In verse 12, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. They, they may kill with, with, with uh, the blood of others. They may conquer with bloodshed, but it is the Lord. It is the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory. They will not reign forever. He talks about their immorality. We see in verse 15, he said, Woe to him who gives his neighbor drink, and pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. And he speaks of the wicked Babylonians, and he said, You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. So in their immorality, there will come a day of reckoning. And then I want us to notice their idolatry in verse 18. He says, what use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It's only a cast image, a teacher of lies for the one who crafts its shape, trust in it, and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a stone, come alive. Can it teach? It may be planted with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. The idols can't speak. They cannot teach. They cannot give life. And the Lord is reminding Habakkuk, yes, I'm sending the Babylonians to come against the people of Judah, but understand that because of their idolatry, they will not stand forever. 
And we know in history that the Babylonians did come. And around the year 586 B.C., they sieged Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. But they only ruled for about 70 years. After about 70 years, the Persians came and they, they attacked the Babylonian army and they defeated them. It was just temporary. And we see in these verses all of these things that were going on among the Babylonians and, and God said, I'm using them as an instrument of my judgment but be patient and trust because I'm a God of justice and I will not let, go, let sin and wickedness go unpunished. I just want to say something to us. I love my country and you love this country and we love this country together. There's no other place I'd rather live, but let me tell you, America is not beyond the judgment and the wrath of God. And if our nation continues to make idols out of things, continues to take innocent blood through the abortions that happen in our abortion clinics every day in our country, if we continue to do many of the wicked things that are allowed to happen in our nation, understand, church, we are victorious in Christ. We belong to the kingdom of God. As much as we love America, as much as we love our nation, this nation will not stand forever because God will not allow wickedness and sin and idolatry to stand. God is a God of justice. And when it may seem to us as if, just, as if injustice and wickedness is going unpunished, understand God will send his righteous ju judgment on the nations. So be patient. Keep trusting him. When it looks like the righteous are being oppressed, when it looks as if God is not honoring the prayers of his saints, when it looks as if all hope is lost, keep looking to God. Because he's righteous in all his ways. When we get to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, the next to the last verse, we hear in those words a cry, 